Hello, and welcome to The Stockout, your show at FreightWaves about CPG companies and their supply chains. I'm your host, Mike Bowdendistel of FreightWaves. I'm an analyst and market expert uh, here at uh, FreightWaves. And today I'll be discussing uh, some of the recent results from major grocery chains and what those say about uh, demand for consumer uh, packaged goods uh, and uh, also walk you through some uh, you know, recent you know, data on consumer uh, behavior and, and, and what those uh, data points say about consumer packaged goods. And then uh, we'll explore the data sets in FreightWave Sonar that I think are really sort of jumping off the page as being the ones that are the sort of the most relevant, the ones that are moving the most, the ones I think you should be paying attention to. Uh, so we'll do all that uh, today in about half an hour. Um, and first, uh, a word from our sponsor, uh, trust the experts at Echo Global Logistics for all your freight transportation and CPG shipping needs. Whether you are a Fortune 100 CPG company or specialty food manufacturer, Echo has solutions to fit your needs. With their dedicated team, as well as Echo Ship, a self-service shipping portal, allowing you to book, quote, ship, and track, Echo has you covered. Technology at your fingertips and experts by your side, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. To find out how Echo can simplify your transportation management, please visit www.echo.com forward slash CPG today. So as always, a big thanks to Echo Global Logistics for sponsoring this podcast. And one other sort of quick advertisement is one maybe here from Freight Waves. Um, our CEO, Craig Fuller, sent out an email uh, internally here that said uh, we're actively hiring for 37 positions, which is uh, quite a number, um, including uh, the ones that stand out to me are a number of roles uh, where you're you know, an expert in a, a certain subject matter. So you would do you know, writing, you know, podcasting, uh, et cetera, for the website. Um, those would be agriculture expert, inland waterways expert, maritime expert, rail expert. Um, and it would be great if someone you know, was able to join for either an agriculture expert or inland waterways expert. Those are not real strengths in my uh, opinion of, of, of freight waves. And I think it would really learn a lot uh, from that person. So if there's, if you are in the market for a new position, there's really a wide range of them. Uh, be sure to check that out and check that out at freightwavesinc.com or freightwavesinc.applytojob.com uh, forward slash apply. So check that out. Um, and now uh, on to the, you know, talking about CPG uh, news and, you know, there wasn't a lot of CPG news this week. And so the approach I took for one of the newsletters is, you know, want to see, you know, what you could, you know, gather from uh, some of the other companies that are related to CPG in, in, in some way. And, you know, notice that Kroger uh, reported, the, you know, the big uh, nationwide grocery chain and, uh, you know, actually found uh, some pretty, uh, you know, significant things in there for CPG, you know, companies. Um, and, you know, I think the big, you know, expectation for, uh, you know, grocery chains and CPG companies that said, we're going to have a down year uh, for most companies because 2020 uh, was a really strong year where people rushed out, bought lots of, of items to fill up their uh, refrigerators, you know, pantries, freezers, um, you know, et cetera. And, you know, now we see with, with uh, you know, restaurant reservations, open table, uh, sporting, it was reporting restaurant reservations about 90% of pre-pandemic levels. Um, but I think, you know, with, what Kroger's results show is, you know, consumers are still, you know, buying a lot in grocery stores. And even maybe more importantly than that, they're still buying the premium versions of products, which is something that's really been, you know, really important to CPG companies. You know, in the past year, CPG companies gained a lot of market share from 
private label brands. Consumers are more comfortable with the, the maybe the more expensive name brands that they that they grew up with. Um, and so there's really not a lot of evidence yet that consumers are trading back down as they have more opportunities to get out, travel, you know, do more things in person. They're still buying those premium products, um, which may uh, suggest that consumers are still healthy, still confident. Um, another takeaway here is consumers are still buying fresh products. And actually the, the, the um, interest in fresh, you know, seems to continue to surge. It's something that, you know, a lot of the CPG companies uh, recently have uh, either expanded their existing product lines in CPG, or they've gone out and acquired uh, companies that participate in that space. Some of those companies are ones that you know market directly to consumers, where you can get a box of fresh food, you know, delivered, or maybe with a minimal amount of preparation, you have your your fresh, you know, healthy dinner. That's you know been a mega trend in in CPG. Uh, another takeaway from from Kroger is is consumers still appear to be cooking more. Where ninety percent of consumers say they they you know enjoy cooking as much or more than before the pandemic. They don't seem sick of it. I think that's a positive for items like raw meat and spices. Um, and consumers are making more frequent shopping trips, not so much the stock up trips. And consumers' behavior seems to be that they are planning for large you know gatherings for you know holidays like like Fourth of July. Uh, Kroger also had a lot of interesting things to say on the e-commerce side of things. Now, e-commerce uh, has obviously exploded during the pandemic, and um, you know that's been true, you know, particularly for for grocery, where a lot of consumers, you know, grocery was one of the the holdouts where you know a lot of consumers don't like to to shop for groceries online. But uh, Kroger had some interesting things to say about that. First of all, the sales of online for, for Kroger.com is actually up 16% year over year. So, so more than a year ago when things were much more locked down and you compare that to 2019, it's up over, you know, 100%. Um, but what really appears to be misunderstood about online grocery sales is it's not an either or, you know, they said that almost all the people that shop, um, you know, online at their online site, are also the very same consumers that will go to the store and 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 buy items in store as well. So almost no one does, you know, just one of those things. And it seems to be that the emerging trend in, you know, grocery is to buy the sort of you know items where you know what you're getting um, that that you know don't need to be maybe refrigerated. Um, you know, things like boxes of cereal, snack foods, buy all those things online. And then if you, you know you really want to have uh, you know, people over for a good steak, you'd actually go out and, and, and pick those out yourself. So that seems to be where the the industry is migrating. And what's also interesting in the world of, uh, you know, grocery and CPG, uh, you know, online commerce is that the, the media sales and advertising has opened up a new revenue stream for the grocery retailer. So you see this with, you know, companies like, you know, Walmart and with, with Kroger just in the past year, Kroger's opened this up to uh, ex external um, you know, companies that they can advertise their, you know, consumer you know, packaged goods on uh, the, 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 the Kroger site. And, um, you know, they, they said that uh, the, um, you know, operating profit about $150 million now from the digital, you know, marketing and, you know, you sort of think about this, and this is maybe even more of a of a better application for targeted advertising than a lot of others are, because you have a you know, consumer that is going to a grocery 
website has basically already made up their mind to place a, an order for for groceries, and then the, um, the 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 retailer knows exactly who that customer is because they have their unique ID as as well as their uh, you know web surfing behavior. So they know that this you know particular consumer, for instance, is someone that you know buys a lot of pet food. In addition to that, you know buys a lot of let's say Purina pet food, and so you can see how valuable this would be for a CPG company that competes directly with, you know, Purina, Purina in this you know, instance is they can put not just a, a banner ad or a landing page uh, that could take you to a competing product, but they could entice, you know, the, the, the consumers that buy their, you know, most direct competitors goods by with, you know, you know, um, uh, coupons, you know, say, you know, buy one, get three free just to, you know, attract these new consumers that, you know, buy the, your competitor's products. So this seems to be a sort of an emerging, you know, battleground with the emergence in, uh, you know, e-commerce, um, you know, for groceries specifically. So this is going to be something I think is interesting to watch and something that I'm going to want to dig into more, um, you know, in the, in, in the stock out, uh, some other interesting sort of stats here. Kroger said same-store sales expected to decline in 2021 20, uh, uh, between 25 and 4% relative to 2020. Now, no one likes to report declines, but I think most analysts were expecting something worse than that. Uh, you know, when you, you think of, uh, you know, just how much of a big stock up year uh, 2020 would be, certainly, um, you know, inflation is, uh, you know, playing a role in that. Um, but, uh, what I think was, is interesting is, you know, Kroger specifically didn't seem to be too disturbed by, um, you know, the in, inflation. And they said that uh, when they actually perform best, when the inflation is running between 3% and 4%, and they said that consumers don't really get, you know, antsy and change their behavior dramatically if inflation is still in that 3% to 4% range. It gets much higher than that, though. They start to look for lower cost alternatives and, and, and things get more difficult after that. So that does explain, I think, a lot of the behavior that we've seen from CPG companies where they have, um, you know, a lot of times you know, taken prices up. Uh, but not as much as their costs are rising. So some CPG companies, their costs might be rising, you know, five or six percent. They're taking their, their their prices up, you know, two or three. I mean, so so there does seem to be, you know, you know, a, a gap there where a lot of CPG companies, at least in the near term, are going to face some margin pressure. I think a lot of that's by design in order to hold on to a lot of the customers that they picked up. Uh, you know, during the pandemic, um, when you know shelves were bare, and 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 it sort of gave them an opportunity to attract some new customers that really don't, you know, make a habit of uh, of, of shopping, um, you know, very often. Another uh, interesting, you know, sort of tidbit on inflation is, you know, one analyst asked Kroger's management whether the cost inflation is rising faster than their retail inflation, so whether they're actually seeing the mar the margin pressure. And they said that's true um, in fresh products and sort of the, the, the fresh products, their costs are rising faster than the retail products. But actually, the other you know, types of products, the opposite is true. The, the non-fresh products, if you want to call them that, the, the, the retail inflation is higher than the cost inflation. So there, there are some offsetting you know, you know, impacts there. But I would say in general, um, you know, on balance, the, uh, you know, the news was, was good for CPG when you think about the takeaways from you know, the retailer's results. You know, consumers are still spending on those more valuable goods, and uh, the, the, the uh, grocery you know, retailers don't seem to be too disturbed with the inflationary uh, you know, environment.
So the next topic uh, moving out that I want to talk about is uh, you know consumer spending, which you know just came out. Haven't fully you know gone through all this yet, but they said uh, you know the, the U.S. government data was that consumer spending was basically you know flat, uh, entirely flat from from May till April. And so this is a little bit of a contrast to what we've seen in you know recent uh, months, where you've seen a much bigger pickup. Um, you know, there's particularly a big, you know, pickup in uh, you know, March where there was, uh, I think, uh, about a 5 percent, you know, jump that month. Uh, that was the month where uh, most consumers received that $1,400, you know, stimulus, you know, payment for, for those whose income is below, you know, a certain level. Um, so, you know, a lot of that gets, you know, spent right away. Um, but that flat number, you know, this month was, a, uh, you know, below, you know, most analysts' expectations. Most analysts were expecting a 0.4 percent increase. Um, but should also mention that April was a little bit of a tough comp, and April was just revised upward, where April was up 0.9% from March. Of course, March was that very strong uh, month. Um, so, you know, incomes, you know, on a, you know, if you don't adjust for the the stimulus on a second, you know, month in a row, we're we're, we're down a little bit. Um, would would note though, you know, savings rates are still very high. You know, 12.4% in May. That's more than you know Americans have generally saved the last you know several years. I think it's been closer to to five percent, maybe five to ten. Um, so you know, there's still I think you know consumers do have a lot of uh, you know dry powder. So hopefully for the CPG companies that participate in in, in sort of the more premium you know segments, sort of, sort of those more fresh segments, they'll continue to do uh, you know pretty well. The next topic um, I want to talk about is uh, because it's fresh in my mind is uh, you know, the housing industry. Now, the housing industry maybe is not as directly related to CPG as a lot of the other you know data sets, um, but it's fresh in my mind. Uh, just submitted about a ten-page you know uh, report uh, to our editorial team that should be out on Monday as part of the Passport Research product. Of course, uh, as always, if you want to you know copy of a report that I discuss on this uh, show. Uh, just send me a, an email, um, mbowdendistal at freightwaves.com. Happy to send it to you. But but here, um, you know, sort of the, the thesis of the report is, okay, housing has gone on this absolute tear. Um, but the latest few data points for housing have actually, you know, been down some. And it does seem like the market forces are uh, starting to put the brakes on, um, you know, this, this unabated uh, growth in both new home construction and existing home construction. And I, there was a really good, you know, quote in that report from our lead economist, Anthony Smith. And he, he basically said that the consumers that are really feeling this uh, with housing are the ones that make between $50,000 and $100,000 a year in um, annual uh, take-home pay, so sort of after-tax, you know, pay. And those consumers, that demographic make up, makes up about one-third of the home buyers, including most of the first time uh, home buyers, buyers, home buyers for maybe the entry level homes, if you want to call them uh, that. And, you know, those consumers are really getting priced out of the market. Um, you know, even though interest rates are extremely low, the, um, you know, the, the um, you know, buyers are expected to put down about 20 percent, um, you know, which, you know, is, is, you know, go back in history, that's, you know, what, what was be expected, but, you know, the last however many years, uh, you know, lending standards have been, have been looser than that. So, you know, it, it does seem like a lot of consumers are, are, are getting priced out of the market. And then, you know, in that report, we compare, uh, you know, how home, uh, you know, new home construction and, and, and home sales to some of the, the freight waves, you know, uh, truck data, particularly the flatbed, uh, you know, tender rejections and flatbed data, because, you know, flatbed hauls a lot of 
the um, you know building materials. And so, so flatbed has been maybe one of the the most volatile you know, industries. I mean, during the pandemic, the tender rejections were less than one percent, which means the market was extremely loose. There were way too many flatbed trucks, and that shot up to earlier this month of 30%, and now it's back down to 24%. So, so that market now is about as tight as the very tight, you know, dry van, uh, you know, market, um, you know, on a relative, you know, basis. Uh, so, so there's been a lot of uh, volatility there. And I think the way that, uh, you know, this relates to, to CPG companies is not only uh, that, you know, if you buy a you know, bigger house, you probably have a bigger refrigerator and pantry so you can buy more consumer packaged goods, um, you know, but also if, if you're, you know, confident enough to buy, you know, a house, you're confident enough to, to buy other things. And, and, and certainly you're probably one of the, the, the buyers of the, the, the premium, you know, products. And I think it's good news that uh, there's no shortage of demand for new houses. Um, you know, consumers, uh, you know, are, are willing to, to, to spend. And so it seems like they're willing to spend on other, you know, items as well. So I think uh, the consumer uh, packaged goods companies that are in, so that more premium, more um, in, in a fresh space, I think, is a, is a pretty good place to be right now. Moving on to the fourth topic I'd like to talk about is uh, there is no inexpensive way to get goods into the U.S. And, you know, my pick for sonar chart of the year, at least the sonar chart of the first half of the year, is the Freitos Baltic Daily Index. There it is on the, the screen, and you can see just how this is. So, so I should explain what this is. This is the um, the price, a daily price to move forty foot international containers from in blue China to the U.S. East Coast, in green from China to the U.S. You know West Coast. And you've seen just how much these have risen. This is a this is a one year chart. So from China to the U.S. Uh, East Coast, it's gone from let's call it thirty five hundred dollars a container to. $10,000 a container. So it's, it's basically tripled. And then from the U S you know, West coast, it's, you know, maybe not quite, you know, tripled. It's gone from a little, little under three to, to about $7,000. And so it, there's, it really sort of speaks to the fact that, uh, you know, these are spot rates. There's the, the ocean carriers are having a hard enough time, um, you know, dealing with, you know, very large, you know, shippers and uh, you know third-party you know logistics companies, you know, freight freight forwarders um, that, that that broker lots of you know ocean you know capacity, and um, you know consumers are getting very or big, big companies, the big you know importers are getting very concerned about this. I mean, one of the, the big news items earlier this this uh, week was that Home Depot is um, you know going to charter its own you know vessel to get goods imported. So even a company of, of that size, one of the biggest you know, retailers in the country, is, is, is very concerned about um, you know, getting goods you know, into, the, into the country um, and then you know, sort of exacerbating you know, that situation. There have been uh, you know, congestion issues, not just at the, in the U.S. Uh, ports that we've talked about for some time, but now in China, some of the, the Chinese port cities have been plagued with some you know coronavirus you know outbreaks and which has shut down certain places um so so that's been you know an issue as 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 well um and uh you know also like to look at the air cargo you know index which is the the next um you know chart that we have and, th and this one you know maybe getting a little bit off topic there's not a lot of you know consumer packaged goods that fly um you know from one continent to another you know but i do think that this also is just sort of speaks to you know, how tight, you know, transportation markets are across modes. This is the one that I was calling the 2020 sonar chart of the year because you saw that, you know, spike from 
let's say three dollars, um, you know, kilogram uh, to um, to almost eight dollars last, uh, you know, in early 2020, and now it's it's basically we're we're at the level a level level that's actually higher than that uh, today. Even though you know a year ago people were saying, well, okay, we're going to convert all of these you know passenger uh, uh, planes to to cargo planes, and the the market is going to take care of those things. It's like even with a lot of those adjustments. You know, really, the, the the prices of air cargo have not come down, despite the fact that they're, um, you know, at least domestically, people are traveling in the U.S. But the issue, I think, is from one continent to another continent. Um, you know, those those flights are in, in volume is still way down, so there's not as much, you know, belly space, uh, which is still at, at a premium. So, you know, shipping things air cargo, um, you know, the, the, the capacity is scarce there, and then there's also some companies that are using, you know, air cargo that would not. Otherwise, you know, use air cargo. I think that sort of the best example of that was was Peloton uh, using air freight to to move those Peloton bikes and treadmills, which is is extremely expensive. You would not normally use, uh, you know, air freight for something so large and uh, you know bulky. It really shows that, that they um, were in desperate straits in terms of getting uh, transportation capacity uh, for for imports. Uh, the last uh, you know, topic I want to talk about is uh, the class one rails and intermodal companies and intermodal companies do tend to do the, the marketing for, you know, intermodal. Um, they've been pricing to the market and, and we can see this in a number of different ways, a number of different, you know, sonar, you know, charts that have uh, sort, sort of uh, come to my attention in the last couple of days, sort of this, this first one uh, is maybe an update from you know, earlier comments where I, I had been talking about, you know, Chicago to Atlanta you know, one of the big, you know, domestic um, intermodal lanes is, is, is maybe being one that was, you know, previously acting rationally. So in, in, in blue, you have intermodal door-to-door spot rates from Chicago to Atlanta. In green, you have trucks.com uh, truckload drive-in rates. Now, normally, you'd expect about a 15% uh, you know, difference between those two lines because intermodal is lower service. It should have lower cost as as well. And the market was sort of reacting uh, rationally up until the last couple, you know, data points where you see uh, the railroads, intermodal companies, you know, t- took that intermodal rate up to almost $3 a, a mile, including fuel surcharge. So that's above the, you know, rate including fuel surcharge on the highway. And so, you know, when that happens, all of a sudden the spot shippers, are priced out of the market, and there's really no reason to use intermodal in that lane if it is more expensive, um, you know, on the, the the rail. You want to go for the higher service level, you know, on the highway. Um, you know, turning to the next uh, chart here, um, you know, I'm comparing those uh, intermodal rates, which this time it's in in green, to the intermodal outbound tender rejection index uh, for Chicago. And, you know, what you see here is that, you know, intermodal uh, loads don't tend to get rejected you know, very much, um, you know, unlike, you know, truckload, uh, the intermodal companies do t- tend to want to, you know, really, um, you know, treat their, you know, contracted shippers, which are very important customers well. And so when you see a spike in intermodal tender rejections, that's sort of a, a warning sign that, that, you know, things are not going well. You saw that last November where Chicago tender rejections there in blue spiked up to 20%. And what usually follows, and we can see this in, in, in the, the sonar data, is after a spike in intermodal tender rejections, you do tend to see a spike in uh, intermodal rates. And so you saw that, that's, that spike in November for tender rejections. You saw the subsequent spike in December for rates. And then uh, it sort of repeats 
this spring where you saw that that spike in the right side of the chart in in, in blue in, in in may and rejections up to 15 percent and then you see the spike in um in, in green for intermodal rates up to two dollars and 99 cents per mile so um you know that's essentially uh the, the railroads putting the you know you know uh, you know, uh, out of out of stock sign on where you know can't handle any more intermodal um, you know volume from 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 spot shippers, um, but those are, are sort of important things I think to to to, to monitor. Um, you know, the uh, Surface Transportation Board does not require any quote unquote real service metrics um, from the railroads. I mean, the railroads report speed and terminal dwell, which is not as helpful as you know, the metrics that maybe they could provide, like, you know, the actual transit time or, you know, how, um, you know, whether, uh, you know, it's meeting the, the service requirements um, that it, maybe the shipper defines rather than the, the railroad it's, itself uh, defines. We have one more uh, intermodal uh, chart here from, from Sonar. And I think this uh, one is, you know, maybe shows the, the, the market uh, in, in total. So these are the 11 densest uh, domestic intermodal lanes. And you can see that out of the 11 densest intermodal lanes, the 10 out of the 11 have intermodal spot rates that are higher than they were a year ago. And in some cases, dramatically higher than they were a year ago. LA to Dallas is 84% higher than it was a year ago. LA to Atlanta, 71% you know, higher than a year ago. Sort of the one that's lower is you know, Dallas back to Los Angeles. Um, and so you look at a chart like this and because intermodal is so weighted towards the densest corridors in the country, uh, this pretty much tells you what's happening in the market. If you look at those 10, you know, densest, you know, densest lanes. So suffice it to say, uh, rates are higher and the, um, you know, spot rates in most cases are up well into the double digits and even contract rates, which are not nearly as volatile, uh, you know, those are up uh, double digits. Um, both J.B. Hunt and Hub Group have said that their contracts are renewing, you know, up double digits. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it, overall, and, and I suspect that, you know, uh, shippers that move you know, heavily in these head haul lanes, like some of the ones on that you know, chart I showed, L.A. to Dallas, um, you know, for, for instance, uh, you know, those are probably rising well into the into the double digits. So it does make things a little bit you know, difficult for shippers that are trying to, you know, convert to intermodal, you know, right now, which is, which has been uh, at least something that's been on the radar of a lot of uh, CPG companies. I'm working with one of the biggest uh, CPG companies right now, looking at their lanes and, you know, what we can do to maybe, um, you know, use our data to give them some insight into which, uh, you know, lanes that are currently truckload lanes, you know, maybe they should look at using intermodal or which ones where they're using a combination of truckload and intermodal. They, they're maybe paying, you know, more than the market or should shift a little bit more to, to, towards intermodal. We're taking, you know, their their rates, looking at, uh, you know, what others are paying, looking at what the service requirements are and sort of taking this holistic, you know, view, um, you know, there. So that's the type of thing that, um, you know, FreightWaves, I think, you know, we're very good at is, is comparing, uh, you know, comparing across modes and, uh, you know, helping uh, shippers with uh, modal optimization. So uh, with that, as hopefully, um, you know, not too, uh, uh, you know, difficult to digest on a Friday afternoon, um, that's really what I wanted to cover. Uh, next week, um, I'm going to be talking about uh, General Mills, which reports its uh, quarter 
uh, quarterly earnings on Wednesday. And I think sort of the main questions there is, uh, you know, on the demand side, are consumers still, you know, eating breakfast at home? They talked about that as being a big advantage. And then how is General Mills handling uh, the you know, inflationary pressures, um, which maybe gives you some insight into uh, how other CPG companies are doing as well. So uh, with that, I hope everyone has a great weekend and feel free to reach out to me anytime um, if you have uh, questions or want to discuss uh, any of these uh, you know, items, uh, email address here is mbowdendistal at freightwaves.com.